Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Hebrews chapter 11. That's where we'll be this morning. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1. This is commonly referred to as the great hall of faith. Many of you have probably read this before or heard something preached out of this chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, 1 through 3. Uh, We're going to read just the first three verses, and I implore you in your own time to go read the whole chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, and read about uh, the folks in the faith all throughout it. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. If you've got it, go ahead and stand to your feet. If you're able, if you're home, join us in standing. And we're going to read this word together. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 3. If you got it, go ahead and say, got it. The word begins, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So the what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The very word of God. Today I want to preach on the topic, have faith. Last week I spoke on have confidence, and you can't possibly hear me have confidence without faith. Turn to your neighbor, go ahead and say, have faith. Y'all getting this down? Turn the other way and say, have faith. Have faith. We're going to get y'all to talk, I promise, one way or another. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, I do ask that you hide me behind your cross. That you decrease me, Lord, so that you may increase in this place. May your word go forward and fall afresh on your people. May it be me not speaking, but you. We need to hear from you, Jesus. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Our passage today is the beginning of what I I just named that people have called throughout human history the Great Hall of Faith. Uh, People are listed in this chapter like Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Rahab, David, and Samuel, just to name a few. Heroes of the Bible. People that we have looked up to throughout human history and we have said things like, if I, if I just had faith like Abel, then, then God would accept my sacrifice. He would accept my work. We said things like, man, if I just trusted God like Abraham and I was able to give up this, this one thing or this thing that I, I've waited on so long, if I was able to kill this one thing, then, 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 then just maybe he would bless me. 
say things like, man, if I trusted God like Noah, when the wind and the waves of life came my way and they started crashing down on me, then I would know that I'm okay. And see, family, what I want to submit to you this morning, and and this may mess you up a bit in your understanding or even your picture of some of these people that are named off in Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith, because what happens is we commonly look at these people as if they had no issues. We look at them as if they're perfect, and there's only been one person that has ever walked this earth that is perfect, and that is Jesus. Dan, all of these people had issues. Noah was a drunkard. Abraham was a liar. He he lacked faith. Isaac was seduced by beauty, and the man ended up blind. Jacob was a schemer. Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute, and David was an adulterer, a murderer. You name it, that's who David was, but we only commonly refer to him as the man who had a heart after God. Family, what I'm I'm trying to get across to you this morning in all of this is that these folks had issues. And if we're honest, I mean totally honest this morning, everyone in this sanctuary, everyone in this room has issues. Go, Go ahead and turn to your neighbor and say, you got issues, I got issues, but it's okay. We in church, nobody's gonna hit anybody, you can say it. You got issues, I got issues, but we're okay. (laughs) See, one of the things that always behooves me when I'm reading my Bible and I'm reading about God is that he doesn't ever choose the people that you think he would choose to use or recognize. He always, he uses the lowest of the lowest, He uses the people that are disenfranchised, the people that are pushed to the fringes. He uses the race that's unpopular. The people without money, the people with money that nobody likes. That's who God uses. So when I read the Bible, it, it really throws me off a bit sometimes because I ask myself, God, why in the world would you choose to use them? But then I keep reading and I... I read, how, I read about how Jesus came to the earth and he was born as a baby in a manger, a feeding trough, in a, in a town where there, it was said nobody good was supposed to come from this place. This, this Jesus was born in Nazareth to nobody parents and raised by them. And then he took 12 nobodies under his wing and he poured into them and they took the word to the ends of the earth. And then he hung out with prostitutes and he hung out with the downcast. Then he, he died for the world who hated him. Family, when I read the Bible and I I read about the people God used and I read about how Jesus came and then I scan through Hebrews chapter 11, I've come to realize something. Faith is less about how much you have and it's much more about the object of your faith. I'm preaching to somebody in here, but y'all ain't hearing me. I, I, I promise that's a word for somebody. Faith is less about how much you have 
And it's much more about the object of your faith. See, there's a reason Jesus can say in Matthew chapter 17, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move because it's much less about the amount of faith you have and much more about the object of your faith. But y'all still missing this. See, there's a reason God chooses sinful people to use all throughout the Bible because it's less about how much faith you have and much more about the object of your faith. There's a reason he can choose to use sinful people like you and me to take his word to the utter ends of the earth when we mess up on a day-to-day basis because it's less about how much faith you have and much more about the object of your faith. Y'all still missing this thing. See, what I'm trying to get across to you is that the great hall of faith is less about how much faith they had and much more about the object of their faith. So friends, I have one question for you. I know I'm messing up all of y'all theology because y'all been running out here. Gotta have faith, gotta have faith, gotta have faith. Faith in what? I have one question I need you to ponder as we walk through this. What or who is the object of your faith? What or who is the object of your faith? And don't don't be so quick to answer that. I need y'all to just just ponder on that a bit. Because, Because here's the reality. We all existed in this pandemic. And at one point or another, we've trusted in something else as the object of our faith. And we're honest this morning. We have all fallen victim to this. We've trusted in our jobs. We've trusted in our finances. We've trusted in our kids, our politicians, relationships. Shall I keep on going? We've all fallen victim to faithlessness or faith in something or someone outside of God. But when I read the Bible and I I read through Hebrews chapter 11, I not only remember that there's grace when I look at these people, I not only remember that, that there's grace when I get off track, but I also remember that it's less about the amount of faith and more about the object of my faith. So today I, I, I want to help us, if, if you will, reorient our eyes, our vision toward the right object of our faith. The one who never leaves us nor forsakes us. The one who has gone before us and has died the death that we should have died, and the one who still reigns supreme today. His name is Jesus. Brings me to the two points I have today, and we're we're on about our way to brunch. Number one, faith must have the right object. Faith must have the right object. And number two, faith leads to a destination, not necessarily an outcome. Faith leads to a destination, not necessarily an outcome. Coming off of last week where we finished chapter 10 in Hebrews, it tells us the writer, the writer says in chapter 10, he's reminding us 
of who Jesus is and that we have a high priest who's over the house of God. He rules over the house of God. He's gone before us. He's, he's torn down the veil between man and God. So therefore, if we have faith in Jesus, now we have access to God. We don't have to go through a priest. We have access to God in relationship with him. Jesus was and is the perfect sacrifice once and for all. He, he has fulfilled God's standard of holiness, and through his death and our belief, God doesn't see our sinfulness anymore. Instead, he sees the righteousness of Jesus and his work on the cross. This means that believers are covered by the grace of God. We're, we're covered by the love of God, not on the basis of what we've done or what we bring to the table with the work of our hands, but because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. So the writer simply says, Mama Roper, he says this, since, since all of this is true, don't shrink back. Don't, don't turn back to what you used to trust in, the people that you used to listen to. No, no, no. Have confidence in Jesus. Have confidence that he's a way maker. Have confidence that he's a healer. Have confidence that he can provide. Have confidence, he says, and don't shrink back. This all leads to the pastors today. And family, I'm honest with you. I, I love the Bible and I, I, literally, I, I love reading the letters that are written to the, the churches because in the letters, there's usually an overarching theme that they're really trying to get at. And as we've been marching through this series, Jesus reigns supreme. The writer here is trying to get the readers to understand again that Jesus is the one who is supreme. He wants them to understand his supremacy, that he's over everything. He rules over everything. So in verse 1 of the text, he opens up with what I like to say is the outcome of faith. It's, it, it's, it's less of a definition. It's, it's the outcome of faith. He says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. This serves as what faith gives us. It's not necessarily the definition of faith. It's what faith gives us. Faith as a definition, hear me, is trusting in who God is, his word, and his promises. Remember I said last week, hope, hope, hope is not something that you can see. Hope is, is not something that you can grasp, it, but, but faith instead is what gives you hope. The Bible says hope that is seen is not hope at all because it doesn't require any type of belief to believe in something you can see. It's not, it's not hope there. And, and I know the question is popping in somebody's head because you're thinking literal here and saying, well, well, well Pastor D, how, how am I supposed to have faith in something I can't see? Well, if you haven't caught it by now, hear me. Faith is about having the right object. You have to have the right object in your faith. And any, anything or any person outside of God that we've placed our faith in, that's not him, hear me, it's going to fail you miserably one day or another. Last week when I, when I talked about Abraham, when he, when he got to the point that he was ready to kill his son Isaac, he had, he had been through enough mess in his life where he leaned into his own understanding and he, he trusted other things. He had listened to other people's voices, namely his wife's, where 
She's telling him, look, I can't have a baby, so you go ahead and, and sleep with my handmaiden. And, and he ends up having a baby outside of his marriage. He had trusted enough of these things. He, he's gotten to this point where he's like, I, I, I can't trust in all those things. And, and I, I believe God had to take Abraham through some stuff in his life where his faith was proven now and, or, or he didn't have anything else to lean on. And it, it, it's in that moment that he remembers the promise of God. He remembers the promise of God because God did give him Isaac. It wasn't in his timing or his wife's timing, but he did hold on to his word and he gave him a son. And it's in, in that moment that, that I can picture it as Abraham is hiking up that hill, him and his son with the sticks. He, he's hiking up that hill remembering the words of God that he gave me this son. And if God promised me this son and he gave him to me, if I go up this hill and I even take, if I take this knife to him, because God promised him to me, he will bring him back from the dead. Because he gave him to me. He, he promised him to me. Uh, Hebrews 11 verse 17 through 19 says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Though Isaac shall your offspring be named, through Isaac your offspring shall be named. He considered that God was able even to, here it is, raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son because he had faith. He trusted in God, his word, his promises. Abraham had the right object of his faith. The object of his faith was God. It was not his intellect, at least not in this moment, I mean, we, we saw if you're Bible thumper in here, you've been reading your scripture, you know where this God Abraham early in Genesis. He's trusting his mind and what his wisdom says. And, and what does he do? He goes out and he sells his wife into slavery, not once, but twice Israel. He sold her away and he thought this would keep them safe. And what happens is that it ends up almost killing them both. So he's, he's not trusting his intellect anymore. He's also not trusting the words of anybody else anymore. Uh, we, we saw what happened when he listened to his wife, go sleep with my handmaid, and he went and slept with her, had a baby with her, ended up his wife is mad at him because he did it anyway, and didn't you just tell me to do this? I ain't listening to you anymore. Baby, out of, out of his marriage now. And then, y'all, he... <laughs> I need y'all to go with me on this one. He, he also is not dependent on his own strength. My man is 100 years old. There's not much you can do at 100 years old. And I started thinking about this, and I'm, look, I'm, look, I'm like, I don't want to give y'all too much of a vivid per, uh, picture, but I'm like, 100 years old. I can't imagine participating in the act of having a baby. Some of y'all having babies right now, so y'all with me. But... 100 years old, and then you got to carry the baby nine months and then raise the baby? That's a whole lot of energy. I'm trying to tell you, my man, 
He wasn't dependent on his strength. Nope, not in that moment. Sarah was laughing at God like, you got to be kidding me. I'm way past my time, God. That was some supernatural strength there that Abraham had. He was dependent on God, not himself. His faith was not dependent on something that he could possess or grab hold of. No, his hope was in someone outside of him that was greater than him, not visible here necessarily in the world, as verse 3 tells us. His faith was in God who created all things. He had finally given his all to God. And in all honesty, family, I think this is where all of us get off track a bit. You see, God may be the object of our faith and the source of our satisfaction and fulfillment on Sunday morning. But once Monday morning rolls around, the object of our faith is in our jobs. I know, I stepped all in somebody's kitchen. You see, God may be the object of our faith here. In the wee hours of the morning when we're reading in our Bibles and and getting time with God, but once our kids wake up, they become our object. God may be the object of your faith and the source of your satisfaction when you're in your small group or you're in chapel as a student, but once you hit the classroom, it becomes your intellect and getting those grades. You see where I'm going with this? Fill in the blank. What is it in your life that has been replacing God time and time again? Abraham trusted and believed in God, his word and his promise. And I know somebody sitting here and you're saying, whoa, 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 Pastor D, I, I, I smell what you're cooking with Abraham and all this stuff and where we're going in his faith. But, but, but how, how do we know that God held on to his word? How, how did he know that he was going to hold on to his word? How, how did he know that it was going to come to pass? How did Abraham trust that? Well, look back with me at verse 1 of the text. It says, faith is the assurance. Everyone say assurance. It is the assurance of things hoped for. The word assurance in the original language is also translated confidence. So in other words, what the writer is saying to us is that faith gives us the confidence in God for the things hoped for. Stick with me. I promise I'm coming to your neighborhood if I'm not already there. Secondly, in verse 1, the writer not only says the word assurance, but then he says conviction. Everyone say conviction. Conviction, this, this deep heart belief. You stand firm on it, this die on a hill. He says, the conviction of things not seen. Hear me. By saying faith is the assurance and the conviction, the author indicates that biblical faith is not a vague hope grounded in imagery or wishful thinking. Instead, hear this. Faith is settled confidence. It's a settled confidence that something in the future that has not yet been seen but has been promised by God will come to pass and God will bring it about. I love one of the commentators. He said, look at these words with me. He says, thus biblical faith is not blind trust in the face of contrary evidence, not an unknowable leap in the dark, Rather, biblical faith is a confident trust in an eternal God who is all-powerful, infinitely wise, 
eternally trustworthy. The God who has revealed himself in his word and in the, in the person of Jesus Christ, whose promises have proven true from generation to generation, and who will never leave nor forsake his own. So hear me, what this means is that faith, it isn't where you just believe God for something that hasn't happened yet in your life. I'm believing God for this new car is unseen, but I'm believing he's going to bring it about. I'm believing God that I'm going to be a millionaire. It ain't happened yet, but I know he's going to bring it about. Y'all hear me? This ain't name it and claim it. Faith isn't mystical, and it's not about you. Faith has an object, and we don't trust in that object or the person of Jesus Christ to fulfill what we want, but we trust in him for his will and his purpose to be done. And guess what, y'all? He's perfect, so his will is perfect too. So I'm sorry to burst somebody's bubble. If being a millionaire ain't in his plan for you, you can keep on praying, you can keep on trusting, but it ain't going to happen. And I know that's hard. I'm not trying to be hard on you because we're in a pandemic right now. And all of us, we're we're praying. We're trying to get out of this thing, including myself. I'm praying to get out of this. I want God to move. But it seems like this thing is picking up speed. And and, and I know you're like, Pastor D, well, well, how do I trust God and faith in that? What do I do in this space? Hear me, two answers. You have to know God's word and his promises. You, you got to know what the Bible says about God. You have to know his promises towards you. You can't get that if you don't read his word. So number one, you have to be in here and stand firm on his word. Number two, your faith has to be pleasing to God. Not you, not your neighbor, not your friend or your spouse, to God. Now, before y'all tune me out and some of y'all say I'm a heretic, listen to this. Hebrews 11:6 6 says this. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This means without faith, you can't do anything for God. You are of no use. And don't get what I'm saying here twisted. This is not some works-based theology where I'm talking about you got to do all this for God and then he will accept you or he will be pleased with what you're offering him. That's not what I'm talking about here. What this verse is simply saying is that in order to please God with your faith, you have to, one, believe that he exists. You got to believe that he's real, which is referred to in verse three, where he says he created all things and he is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is God almighty. So you got to believe he exists. And secondly, you have to believe that he's trustworthy and he keeps his promises. He exists and he's trustworthy and he holds on to his promises. So in essence, if you don't believe 
who God says he is or what this Bible says about God or what it says about us who are believers, then hear me, you will never fully receive what he has for you or be used the way he wants to use you. You will miss it. Family, this is why I believe many of us were disenchanted in our walks with God. Because we didn't believe him for who he says he is, but instead for what we wanted him to be. Mm. We, we wanted God to agree with our theology. We, we wanted God to agree with our wants, Mike. That, that's what we wanted. We, we wanted him to, to agree with our feelings. Can I tell you something? That ain't Christianity. That's a crystal ball theology. The little eight ball. You remember you used to shake that thing? Hopefully it gave you the right. Does she like me? No, she don't like you. You you just shake that thing, try to get the right answer. That's the genie in the bottle type theology. If I rub it the right way, it's going to give me everything I want. That's not Christianity. These people in the Bible, and when we read Hebrews 11, they, they, you really think they wanted to do these things? It was up, they felt like doing this. This is what they wanted. I mean, yeah, y'all don't believe me. Let's look at the text. Do you really think Noah wanted to be the crazy dude out in the middle of nowhere, gathering wood from all these different places and building this humongous ark? In the middle of dry land, ain't no rain yet, he's building this big old boat and he's proclaiming that the end of the world is coming. And then on top of that, he's got animals, exotic animals, all over the place coming to him like he's some mad zookeeper. Do you really think he really wanted to do that? No. That's crazy. We probably would have tried to lock this dude up in some insane asylum. Like, what's going on here? But what he's doing, what Noah is doing right here, family, is trusting in who God said he is, his word, and his promise. Some of y'all missed that. Do you really think Abraham wanted to leave all that he had done in this land to go to a, a foreign land? And then have to wait on a baby that he was promised for year after year after year until he was the age 100 or more. He had to wait on this baby. And then on top of that, be told, you got to kill this same baby that you were promised. You really think he wanted to do that? No. Y'all still missing this. Moses. Moses. Do we really think Moses wanted to go back into the land of Egypt and pronounce judgment on the people that were enslaving his people, killing his people? Do we really think that Moses wanted to tell them about all these plagues and pronounce the plagues, which one of them included killing babies? Do we really think Moses would lead all these people? He wanted to lead all these people across the Red Sea where at any moment, if his faith wavered, the walls of the Red Sea could come crashing down and kill all of these people that he's responsible for. Oh, I forgot. Do we really think Moses wanted to go out in the middle of the wilderness and lead all these grumbling people For 40 years? No. But what is he doing? 
He's holding on to the word of God, who he is, his word, and his promises. That's what we're seeing here. We can look all throughout biblical history and see that none of the people used by God in their finite minds really wanted to do what they were called to do. My man Jonah jumps off a ship and gets eaten by a fish. He's like, I ain't trying to do that, God. Better yet, Jesus in his flesh, God in the flesh. While he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, says he's in so much pain that he's sweating blood. He prays, God, please let this cup pass from me because he knows what the wrath of God towards sin is going to be like. He doesn't want to experience that separation. But yet, what does he do? He trusts God, his word, and he goes to the cross for you and I. Friends, I don't believe there was a person throughout human history that has ever walked with God and their plan lined up exactly the way God wanted it for their life. If there is, y'all need to tell me. I, I, don't, I, can't, I can't name one person. But what we do see from people that walk with God in order to please him, they believe in who he is, who he said he is, his word and his promise, and they submit to his will even if it makes no sense. You know, I shared a bit of my story. Some of you know a little bit of my story, but I never set out to be a pastor, let alone plant a church. I didn't even know people did that. I thought people would just go and be a pastor of the church. I didn't know you. I mean, somebody had to start the church, but that wasn't something that was on my radar. I never wanted to do this. I wanted to be an NFL player. And a businessman on the side. I, and I, at one point, y'all, I was, I was in crazy shape running a 4-4-40. I was, I was ready to be this cornerback in an NFL six-foot. That was something that people hadn't seen. They want that to happen, and I wanted it to happen. That's what I was working hard for. I also had a directed met in school to the business school. I was doing all these things. I had to set up at a Big Ten school, Indiana University. That's where I was going to be. I was going to be all this and that. I never wanted to be a pastor. That was, not, that was nothing I ever thought of for my life. <laughs> God had different plans. I, I remember the day it happened. I newly saved, newly walking with Jesus, and we had our full inner squad scrimmage. Had all my pants on, and I'm ready to get, get, get ready to play. And, and I just had this overwhelming feeling that was... It, it was really like, I couldn't play through it. I didn't know what was going on. And if you know me, I'm not a feeler. I'm not overly emotional. I'm not super charismatic. That's not who I am. I can be goofy with my kids. They love it. We have fun. But I'm really not. I'm pretty direct. I'm not a super emotional feeler type of guy. That's not me. And so this was a little abnormal. And, and I, it, was, it was a feeling that came over me that I just felt like the Lord didn't want me to play football anymore. I worked so hard to get to this place. And I remember that day, I, I just knelt down on the field, all my pads on, we're about to get ready to play. And I said, Lord, I don't know what this is, but if this is you and you don't want me to play football anymore, then you have to stop me today because I'm not going to stop. Get up. It's time to play. I get in my, my backpedal stance. I'm guarding the receiver. 
And the, the, the quarterback says, Hut, and I, I take off of my back pedal. I find the ball in the air. I intercept the ball. I'm running it back. And just to end the play, I go down, and I dislocate my elbow for the second time. Elbow went back here. Now, check this out. I knew from the first time that if I dislocated a second time, I couldn't play football anymore. You talk about an answer to prayer. And that's where the journey started. It went from this NFL businessman to I'm going to be a missionary. Missionary to pastor. Pastor to church planner. Church planner to now raising up other pastors and church planners while still pastoring my own church. That was never my plan. But God had different plans. And hear me, you may be sitting here today, and I want to say this to you. You online and here in this place, that, that may not be your story. And your story, your journey may not look like those of Hebrews chapter 11, but wherever God has you right now, we're to be operating in faith, believing in who God is, his word, and his promise, even if it makes no sense. Y'all, COVID is a perfect example. We're in a space that we don't know how to get out of. This is, we don't know when it's going to end. But believers, hear me, we're not to be walking around overwhelmed with fear. And we're also not to be walking around trying to white-knuckle this thing and by my strength, I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to be the best me I can be. No, 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 no. We're to be believing in a God who says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We're to believe in a God who has created us and everything else around us. And if this is true and we believe this, then hear me, he's still supreme over it all. Now, hear me, that does not mean that you need to be out here all willy-nilly in the midst of this COVID pandemic and God got me, I don't have to worry about nothing. No, if you're not vaccinated, you need to get vaccinated. You need to love your neighbor. If you're saying, I'm not going to get vaccinated, then wear a mask, please. I mean, seriously, people are dying on a day-to-day basis. This ain't about you. This is about everybody else around us and loving our neighbor. Please don't be caught up in all those confusions. I'm opening opening up a whole can of worms right here. But y'all know what I'm saying. Please. Well, Pastor, how how in the world? How, How am I supposed to? To live my life in a world, though, where everyone around me seems to get whatever they want. They're living their best lives. They don't have a care in the world. Friends, hear me, hear me. Your faith doesn't just have to have the right object. But hear me, your faith leads to a destination and not necessarily always an earthly outcome. Hebrews tells us in verse 13 through 16 of our text says, these all died, look at it with me, in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth for the people, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. 
essentially what the author is saying here as we head home is that these folks knew that this earth was not their home. This means that they, they weren't out here trying to collect all of these things for themselves. They weren't hanging on to their earthly means, trying to take U-Hauls to heaven. They, were, they weren't doing all of that. They, they weren't out here trying to live their, their best lives now, no. I mean, could you picture it? No, Noah wasn't looking over the side of the boat like, dang. I spent five years making that house. It's gone. I tilled that field every day. All my crops are gone. My 401k or whatever they had back then. All, of, all my inheritance, it's all gone. No, no, I wasn't looking over the side of the ship saying that stuff. He was just being faithful and believing in who God is, his word and his promise. He knew that God was going to take care of him. Friends, what I'm trying to get at, and I believe this text is trying to make clear to us, is that the place that Christians should desire as an outcome of their faith, faith is the place of being with God. It's the place of being with God that we should desire. And wherever that place is, wherever God is, that's where Christians want to be. I mean, again, you, read, you take a cursory reading through the Bible. And I'm not even talking about the folks here in Hebrews chapter 11. But if you look at the folks that are not in Hebrews chapter 11 that have been called by God, none of them in their finite minds, if you just think about it for a moment, really want to do what they're doing. I mean, John the Baptist, my man is out in the middle of the wilderness with, with skins of animal covering him up and he's eating locusts and honey. No, not for me. Nope. I mean, you look at the disciples and, and the, the, the deaths that they, uh, that, they, they, that they died, crucified upside down, burned alive, thrown off a cliff, beheaded. Nope. Not signing up for that. Paul, the apostle Paul, planting all these churches, and, and this man is getting stoned to death. He's, he's getting locked in chains for preaching Jesus. Nope, you can have that. Hear me, family, that their faith family is what, it, it, what helped them was the, having the right object. It wasn't just about that, though. They also knew the destination, and that destination was to be with God. Faith gave all these people listed through the text what they hoped for and the assurance of what they were promised, even if they did not see it. You see, the people in the text just wanted to be with God and where he was. They looked forward to a day where God would be with them. He would tabernacle among them. The, the promised Messiah would come and dwell among them. They looked to that day, but they didn't see it. Their faith, though, gave them the assurance or confidence that they would receive it one day. And see, here's the good news for us. Jesus has already come. He's paid the penalty for our sins. He's died the death that we should have died on the cross, and he's risen from the grave. And if we have faith and believe in him, we are assured of eternal life. So unlike the people of this text, we don't look to the day where the coming Messiah is coming. He already came. But with these people, we do look toward a day 
where Revelations 21 would tell us that he would wipe away every tear, that there is a new heaven and a new earth that is coming where Jesus will be with us and we will be with him in our renewed, resurrected bodies. That's a day that we look forward to. The text ends in verse 39 and 40 as the band comes forward. It says, all these, though commended through faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. These men and women in the great hall of faith may not, receive, may not have received what they were promised, but they knew something better would come because they believed in who God is and that he was trustworthy. They believed about the word about the coming Messiah mentioned in Genesis chapter 3.15, where it says that the Savior would come and he would stomp on the serpent's head, creating space between us and evil. They looked to that day where he would come. They trusted it would happen, but they neither knew the hour or the day or the minute. They trusted God, which allowed them to not hold so tightly to the things of this world. Hear me, faith is confidence about a hope or an expectation without visible proof that it will come to pass. The question we're left with, though, is along the same lines as we started. Not only what is the object of your faith, but is the object of your faith trustworthy? Is it trustworthy? Because you can't have confidence in something that's not trustworthy. But if the object of your faith is trustworthy, family, hear me, you can have confidence. And what I'm trying to submit to you today, as we look throughout the whole of the Bible or all of human history, from the beginning of time to where we are now, everyone mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 11 and more, those rich and those poor, those in the in crowd and those that are disenfranchised, people from every shade of color. When you look throughout the history books, the one constant that has remained trustworthy is Jesus. You see, many of us, we're figuring out this out the hard way right now as we work through this pandemic. One dream after another is crumbling down. Your job, relationships, your sanity, your finances, you name it. Everything we have put our trust in has been shaken. But the one person who has not been shaken at all throughout this whole pandemic or all of human history, who has remained the same and still remains supreme today, is Jesus. family, won't you draw near to him as the word says and believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him.
even if the outcome doesn't look like you want it to or even happen in this lifetime. Will you trust him with me and have faith? You have faith. Have faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. You are truly an awesome God. And I know in a room this size, God, many of us have been wavering in our faith or we're lacking faith at all right now. And we're in a place of struggle trying to trust you. Finances are wavering. Relationships are wavering. Everything seems unstable. God, I pray that you would enter our hearts and draw us to the place of understanding and reminding us that in you we have a constant friend. In you we have a Savior who is mighty. In you we have a Savior and a God who is supreme. Thank you, Jesus. So when the wind and waves of life come at us, we can remain faithful by looking toward the object of our faith, keeping our eyes on you, knowing that even when we're unstable, you're stable, so you keep us stable. God, I pray for the one that's here saying, I don't know if I've ever really accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. God, I pray that they would know that they're loved. And as the Bible says, we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. We shall be saved. So I pray now, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself and they believe in you. And I pray for those that have been shaken that we believe who you are and what your word says about you and us. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we all pray together. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.